Welcome back to Reality 101. I'm Dr. Molly. Dr. Gruel. Welcome to class. We are finally here to talk about 90 Day Fiance the other way. We have so many things to say. We are worried about keeping on time, but we are going to do it um, because you all deserve to have at least half of your day. Um, so yeah, I think that from now, you know, we've been covering Married at First Sight, which is also available wherever you get your podcasts, but as avid 90 day fans, I'm telling you all that this is I what I tell my students is like, get ready because I'm about to nerd out. This is where I'm about to nerd out. Yeah, I totally share that sentiment. 90 Day Fiance has been my favorite show for the last handful of years. And I know you feel the same way. And so you know, if you're listening to our Married at First Sight episodes, um, I hope you're enjoying them. But also, there's not totally that much content for us to discuss. And I think we're going to have the inverse situation with 90 Day the Other Way. This is season four, episode one. We're kicking it off with three new couples, one return couple from Love and Paradise. And it is already just so juicy, so complicated, so many things to unpack. So we're so happy you're here and uh, we want to keep you engaged. Dr. Molly, you want to tell them a little bit about uh, where they can find us and the different content we offer? Yeah. So once again, we are available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, You can also access um, us and get suggested readings and other bonus material on our Patreon, which is at Reality RLTY. Um, 101. And we have so many things there for all different types of students. Um, I just want to be really clear that, you know, if this is your first time listening, maybe you don't watch Married at First Sight and you're not interested in that feed, but we do have this for you. You should. (laughs) What did you say? If you don't, you should listen. If you don't, you should. As I always tell my students, just I ask them just to raise their hand. Who did the reading? Okay, if you didn't, you can just go. Um, But if you are watching Married at First Sight, please, please, please um, pick up 90 Day 2 because, yeah, this is going to be dope. So we're on Patreon. Um, We're also on social media. Yes, we are. We're on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is RLTY101. That's for the Reality 101 podcast with Dr. Molly and Dr. Rule. Talking trash with and for students of reality TV. So we're happy you're here. And um, I know I'm just struggling to even contain myself because there's so much I want to chat about today. So (laughs) Dr. Molly, what couple do you want to start with? Oh, I'm so, so, so excited. You know, I'm just going to say it out loud that we ha- I have so much to say about Danielle and Johan. So let's start with some, let's ease our way into it. Let's just get a little taste. Let's start with, um, let's start with Jamie and Chris. Okay. Jamie and Chris. Mm-hmm. So we have Chris. Chris is 40. She lives in the small town of Haleyville, Alabama. Mm-hmm. She Two adult children and lives with her parents. And Jamie is 30. She lives in Bogota, Colombia, but she's originally from Venezuela. And uh, they met online. They've been together for about a year. And right now, Chris is getting ready to move to Colombia to be with Jamie. Yeah. And so the I think Chris is the first person we meet on the episode. I, I just knew I was laughing and giddy and joy, right? Because when they open it up, they have 
you know, this kind of like fairy music and we see her dressing up in costumes and she tells us that, you know, dressing up in costumes was she a way for her to feel free as a young person. Um, she's clearly been through a lot. She has been a closeted bisexual person who's primarily or predominantly attracted to women her entire life. Um, she was previously married to two men. Um, she said they were short marriages, unhappy marriages, and now she's finally excited to be herself and come out of the closet. It's not super safe to do that where she is in Alabama. Um, she drives about an hour and a half to go to a gay bar in um, Birmingham, Alabama. But now she is going to fly to Columbia for her quote unquote soulmate. And she's going to get married nine days after getting there. Yeah. So just a little bit over a week. And it's important to note that they have never been together in person. Their entire year-long relationship has been online and over the phone. That's where they met. And um, that's how they've been communicating. So another important thing to note is that you're absolutely right. Chris, um, you know, has struggled to come out and live her life openly as a bisexual woman um, in her small town. And so Jamie is really the first person that she's openly in a relationship with in this capacity. Um, she has experience having sexual relationships and other, you know, smaller scale relationships with women, but Jamie is somebody that she's in love with and is really excited to step out as a full sort of committed couple in the public. Um, and similarly, Jamie has somewhat of a parallel experience, right? She talks about growing up in Venezuela and, you know, being gay or being bisexual, um, not being socially accepted at all. And in fact, uh, she said that it was not on her radar to the point that her therapist actually brought the issue to her attention and said, are you maybe interested in women? And uh, it, it seems like since then she has embraced, um, you know, being lesbian as her primary identity, but nevertheless has never had a girlfriend. And so Chris is her first girlfriend as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And right. She has this amazing declaration where she's like lesbian today, lesbian tomorrow, lesbian next week and next year. It's like, you get it, girl. But we also find out about Jamie that maybe she did have a girlfriend before. Right. Because um, in Chris's one year of knowing her. Right. Which was um, impacted. All these relationships have been impacted by COVID. Um she did find out that Jamie, um, yeah, was in hospitalized and then kind of went dark for a period of time. And then she found out that she had a partner in Texas. Mm. Or at least that she was supposedly hospitalized, right? So this mystery person from Texas uh, apparently reached out to Chris and said, you know, Jamie and I have been talking and communication, but also I see that you're in the mix. And right, it it blew up. Um, this was about six months or halfway through their relationship. But it's it's interesting that this person also told Chris that Jamie had been working the whole time, that she maybe wasn't as in, wow, wasn't in as dire of a medical situation as she had led Chris to believe. But then also that's really what Chris keeps coming back to as the impetus for moving to Bogota. She says she can't wait because she almost lost Jamie to 
to COVID, right? And she can't stand the idea of waiting any longer or potentially losing her again. But again, we don't even know if that catalyst was real or if Jamie fabricated it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really clear that there are concurrent narratives going on and their storyline is going to be, right, how do these narratives live play out in a kind of a, a physical manifestation right and how is that kind of unshared history um going to impact the future of their relationship um i really want to talk about chris a little bit more though right because we we hear a lot about her right i haven't even gotten to some of the background i mean going back to this idea that she said she loves costumes because they've always allowed her to be free i mean that makes sense for a closeted person um, but we also find out really devastating things like she is living in a home that basically burnt down, um, but she can't afford to move out of it. And then she's also living with narcolepsy, um, which makes it really hard for her to do daily things. Um, and it's kind of a source of embarrassment for her at times. Um, I have a, a um, really close family member who's also narcoleptic. And yeah, it, it's, it changes your life and everyone in your life completely. And so it's going to be interesting to see how, um, yeah, her chronic illness plays out in this context. We saw kind of um, the inflection of chronic illness or as a variable between Stephanie and Erica um, a couple seasons ago where Stephanie went on the other way to Australia. Um, but that was a kind of a different, it was an immune issue and we didn't really hear a lot about it. So um, narcolepsy is something that even visibly on camera, we can see manifesting. Um, and so I think that this is, whew, this is going to be a little scary situation that is happening. Um, and I think Chris is in for a lot, having never been to Columbia or been in a, a marriage or a relationship with a woman. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many sort of first, so many variables and so many things where being in person are really going to matter. Um, and, and that both of these people have very limited experience, you know, dealing with the contours of chronic illness, as you said, but also just being in a same sex relationship um, in person for the first time. Also, um, never meeting in person right? Um, that's, that's a big deal. Most of our couples uh, have met, have encountered one another, at least know that that physical chemistry is there, that the sparks were flying. We don't know that yet about Chris and Jamie. And it's totally possible that, you know, they could get there and suddenly realize that, okay, this person was great through a screen, but maybe not in person. Um, I also was having a little bit of trouble actually parsing out the particulars of the timeline because do you did you have this too what they were talking about when Jamie supposedly right got got sick with covid and was in the hospital um that that was when Chris was informed that she had this other love interest person um but then Jamie said that the reason that she even started talking to this other girl was because Chris had ghosted her for 20 days. So yeah. I want to know why Chris ghosted her in the first place. That was not discussed because it seems like Chris ghosted her. Jamie started talking to this other girl. Then Jamie got sick. Chris became aware of the other girl. 
And then they sort of stepped back from each other for a while and then came back together. But why did Chris ghost her in the first place? Right. And so that's why I think we're about to hear a, a lot of things that are going to have to be sussed out in person. Back to your point about how they haven't met, you know, in person. Usually when we meet these couples, we see even glimpses of what their text exchanges look like or, you know, like footage, home videoage, foot home footage of them meeting for the first time. But like you said, it's hard to even visualize them as a real couple because we just haven't seen those things. And I think what you're saying, the timeline issue is going to um, come clear once we meet them or see them together. And then, of course, I think that um, we're going to see, you know, if they're attracted to each other or kind of what their physical intimacy is like um, on camera. Um, you know, we don't, we meet these people separately in the kind of the first couple episodes. And then it's not until later that we actually start to see them interact so we can formulate our own thoughts. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, this is definitely my big question mark couple where, you know, sometimes they just cut up the storyline off like three episodes before the finale. And it's like, okay, well, I guess they're done. Um, I wonder if that's going to be this couple, but I don't think it's going to be void of any drama at all. No, I think the drama is only going to ramp up. And again, because we have these lingering questions that have been introduced, but unanswered. I want to know why Chris ghosted Jamie in the first place. Mm -hmm. And then I also want to know if Jamie made up being so sick and hospitalized with COVID. She also didn't address if that was actually real or not. So they have a lot to discuss. We have a lot to watch. Um, if I had to predict whether or not they're going to be together, I'm going to say no. I think it's going to be a rocky ride. I think there are too many variables. Um, I, I just don't think the transition is going to go well from online to in person. Yeah. And just really quickly um, to go back to what you were saying about this being the first relationship long term or kind of girlfriend relationship for both of them. I mean, we have to remember it's not a girlfriend. It's going to be a wife situation in nine days, apparently. And um, I think that we might be grappling with some of both of their internalized homophobia, perhaps, um, especially since when we're introduced to Chris, it's clear from her mother that um, there's, you know, she's from the Bible Belt. And then also that her, her mother doesn't necessarily support her per se, but that it's more of a kind of a tolerance situation of her sexuality. So yeah, I mean, like I said, we'll just have to see how it manifests in person. I think it, it's going to be um, definitely eye opening on a lot of different levels. Yeah. I mean, I think even just their location, right? Chris going from this very sort of conservative, small Southern American town to Bogota, which is, you know, a, a big city and an international city. Um, we don't have any indication that she speaks Spanish, right? Jamie speaks English. Um, and I just don't know if that's going to be everything that Chris was sort of imagining it would be either. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts for them before we move on? And Jamie, huh? well, you will just have to see. Prayers up. <laughs> Prayers up. <laughs> oh, okay, you choose, Dr. Rule. Who are we going to next? Okay, Um, let's do a softball. Rishi and Jen. Okay. Um, they were the least interesting couple for me. So we have Rishi, who's 32. He lives in Jaipur, India. He's a model. He's a fitness trainer. But he also wants people to know that he has a master's degree and a law degree and actually worked as a lawyer. So he introduces this to sort of um, confront any ideas about him being maybe vapid or 
or uneducated, right? He is a professional. Um, Jen is 46. So she's significantly older than him. She lives in Stillwell, Oklahoma, and she's a farmer and lives with her family again in this pretty small town. Yeah. And, you know, she really sets herself up as someone who is really only in Oklahoma kind of as a pit stop. She sees herself as a nomad. She's had long-term relationships, but they're not really what she needed. She felt long-term. Um, she's always thought of herself as a rolling stone. We don't really get his um, type of, we don't hear him mirror really anything like that with him in himself. But we also just, I feel like it's important to note the way that they set themselves up is she says, oh, I'm in Oklahoma now, but this isn't like really me, right? She even doesn't have an accent like her brother has. I love the B-roll of her shoveling like horse shit. Um, but, you know, she's very quick to be like, you know, I only come here like when I need a break um, and only access my ancestral land when I need a break. But Rishi, on the other hand, right, is... Um, Mr. Like, I know I'm hot, but yeah, I do have all of these degrees. And it's like, sweetie, like you're not fooling anyone. Um, we, you can be smart and vain. I mean, look at me, but I described him as a douchebag when she first, I know. And everything she described to me was douchebag behavior. I met him in a hotel lobby and he immediately started showing me pictures of his modeling career. I would have just gotten up and left. Like, yeah, their their uh, connection point. I'm not that sh- that sure about. I'm not sure how strong it is because, again, it seemed like it was a sort of chance meeting. She didn't like him up front. Nevertheless, they became friends, so they stayed in touch. I wanted a little bit more about that, right? Like, if you weren't into him and didn't like him, why did you stay in touch? How did you stay in touch? And then even now, she's like, I don't really know why I like him. I can't say what made me fall for him. Uh, He's just different. And it's like, okay, well, he's different. That's good, but that's maybe not enough. Um, And again, you know, this is where we can even put on things like our critical glasses and be like, are you attracted to him because of his sort of national and cultural difference? Like, is that just sexy, novel and exciting to you? Or do you actually like this human being? Mm. You can't say why you like the human being. Yeah, human being is really operative here, right? Because whenever I hear that type of code for, you know, white women who've been on like their Epre love jag for 20 years, I'm like, and they're like, I've just like loved all, of, all over the world. And I've had all these different types of relationships. And I'm like, so you just like brown or black men, mm-hmm. younger brown and black men. Yeah. And, and the age, I think, is important here. I mm-hmm. mean, immediately, of course, I thought about Jenny and Summit. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, a couple who, you know, have a similar situation where she moved to India to be with him. He's significantly younger than her. Their their age difference is bigger than the age difference between Rishi and Jen. But a primary hurdle has been the lack of societal and familial acceptance of Sumit's family. And um, yeah, I mean, it's still an issue. They've been together for ten years. And it's still an issue. So I'm wondering if we're going to get any sort of replication of that when it comes to things like cultural difference, age difference. Yeah. um, You know, there's a couple other things about Rishi, right? One is that his identity is his hair. Um, So I think that's also, you know, if there is some sort of, um, not appropriation, oh my God, Dr. Rule, give me the word. What is it when you fall in love with someone just for their archetype or what is that called? Um, I don't know. 
fetishizing him. Yes. If there is some sort of fetishizing going on, I would like to proffer that, you know, of course, that's like an inhumane type of treatment or love connection that's very insecure. But I think that he might be okay with a little bit of that, um, especially like we saw in a couple seasons ago with um, Johnny and Ella, right? Like maybe there is fetishization, but maybe that's your thing too. I think that he loves his hair and any white woman that loves his hair is cool for him too. So in his one and a half hour process, which we can actually both empathize with, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he was washing his hair and I was like, yep, that's, <laughs> it is a process. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, Dr. Rule never felt more connected to a 90-day character. <laughs> talking about this before we got on, yes. Um, okay, the other big red flag for me is that he proposed within a month mm -hmm. of the meeting, and she said that it was out of the meeting, that they hadn't discussed it. To me... How do you not discuss that? How do you, but it happened and I'm always baffled. Like, how did a couple get together when you didn't talk about it? Yeah. Like, it reminds me of my dissertation defense, right? When they said, we're only going to let you do your dissertation defense if we know, right, that you're going to pass it, essentially. Mm -hmm. like, it really takes a left turn. We're not going to put you in a position to fail. We're going to, you know, have the defense and prepare you to do well in the defense. And as long as you stick to the program, you know, it's, it's going to go through. And I think about that with proposals, like who proposes to somebody really, truly not knowing if they have any interest or intention in being married to this person. Right. And uh, anyways, it seems like Rishi rolled those dice and she did say yes, though. Yeah. And I mean, I think that it's an easy yes for two people who don't have either have like a very solid identity. Again, she calls herself a transient person, but it's like, okay, if you don't belong to Oklahoma, then where do you belong? Who are you? Um, with him, I think he over identifies with his looks because I don't know if there's a lot of substance behind the looks um, right now, even though he has these things like degrees, which don't actually, they're not virtuous or necessarily substance per se. They just signal those things. Um so I think, yeah, we're just kind of seeing two shells of people <laughs> falling in love. But, you know, it really comes to a head the most personable moment, I think, perhaps of the entire episode is when we saw her drunk and leaving that voice message for him or that video message. And I was like, whoa, girl, <laughs> have I been? I mean, I've recorded those. I haven't always clicked send, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Getting a hard time. So jealousy is coming in. Mm -hmm. um, like they play some of the games you can play when you're not physically with one another and only communicate through the phone you know for me there no I just I, I don't think it's gonna work I think it might be an infatuation um but the the proposal the jump from infatuation the jump from he's a douchebag to now we're getting married is is just not one that I think is gonna last yeah, I, I totally agree. I think I think this one's going to be actually not even very eventful. I think maybe we'll see her go over there. And um, I think she's maybe like more cultured than, let's say, Jenny of Jenny and Submit. And so she's not going to have some of the same culture shock. But I think that, yeah, she's going to be uncomfortable with some of the attention that he gets. And, um, you know, just a 90 day um, theme is jealousy. And so we'll see how it works out. 
Okay, I was just going to say, I'm going to call it right now. She's going to get jealous of the women that he trains in the gym. Yeah, even though... It's come up with... um, Oh, what, what are their names? Ari and Vinny, Vinny right? It's going to come up here. That's going to be my bet. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree. The gym, such. <sighs> what a great scene though in 90 Day History when she storms in. Yes. <laughs> what crazy, but that's okay. A little, a little. <laughs> Okay, who should we move on to next? I'm getting the feeling, I don't know if you're doing it, but we're breezing through some of these uneventful couples so that we can spend most of our time on Danielle and Johan. So much to say. Do you want to go there or should we talk about Gabriel and Isabel? Let's actually talk about Danielle and Johan. I think I need a little pick me up here. Let's do it. Okay, so... We meet Danielle and Johan on season two of Love in Paradise, originally called Caribbean Love. It was on Discovery Plus. They rebranded it. Now it's Love in Paradise. And then it aired again on TLC Classic a couple weeks ago. And so this is a continuation of the 43-year-old woman from New York City who's a history teacher um, who recently found the Ife faith. Just put a put a note in there and we'll talk about that later. Um, and she is of Latinx origin, but is not Spanish speaking or, um, wasn't born speaking Spanish. And then she now is in the DR and she found her vacation bang. And she yeah. saw him across the hotel lobby and said, I'm going to marry that guy. Just like every other white woman who went to the resort that day. Yeah, she did. So she also, um, is a yoga and wellness business owner. That's sort of her side hustle outside of her teacher job. And then we have Johan, right? 32. Um, he's Dominican. And like you said, he's a personal trainer who works at resorts. And that's exactly where they met. She declared he was the one. And uh, they say it was love at first sight. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder what that's like, because he's categorically like five feet taller than her. So I don't know what that site looks like at the first, the first time, but, um, he is 32 or 34. I think he's 32. Um, okay. And, um, during love and paradise, we meet his family. We meet him. We see that, you know, he's living in a part of the DR that is very underserved and um, he describes life there economically as just, you know, you live your, you work your whole life never to get ahead. And it's just day to day. We also are kind of intimated um, or they intimate their, their class differences. I don't even know if class is really how we can describe it, right? There's just other work. They're in different worlds. Um, their differences when she um, holds a kind of a offering to, I think, Oshun um, and she's leaving fruit out by one of the waterways in the DR and he just like looks at the camera and he's like, somebody's going to take that in five minutes. Right, right, right. It's it's like case in point, right? Um, that they're just coming at their realities from two different places. And for me, it's like, I just see colonization just all over this story, all over the context. Um, so just to give a little bit of their timeline. So when they met at the resort, they spent six days together. She left. She came back six weeks later. And on the first day that she was back, he proposed. 
They then separated again and she returned five months later to get married and they did get married. So this is actually a married couple already. Mm-hmm. And now the next step in their relationship is her moving to the DR, even though he is not wanting that uh, to be the course of action. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, talk about colonialism. So he is very much eager to get to the U.S. and start making money for his family. He's eager to get to the to New York City. It makes total sense because of the huge Dominican population there. Um, New York City is also a place where to start out, I would not say you need to know English per se. I know there's people who live well into their 60s, 70s, 80s and never learn English while they live in New York City. Um, but you know, this is really our segue into the way that I think it needs to be called out that she's just financially abusing him. Um, and basically she marries him under the pretense uh, that they will either, I think she says, split their time between New York and the DR, or they will live in New York. And she basically backpedals that. Um, she's says to the camera that she decides she, or she hasn't filed the paperwork and she even goes as far as on camera says in English, again, a language that he does not understand that, oh, I have a lot of things to do this trip. And one of them is to tell Johan that we're not moving to New York. Ha ha. And I just found that so disrespectful. In front of him. I mean, with arms wrapped around him, he's embracing her. They just had this moment. And right, she she deploys the language barrier to tell the audience and tell the camera um, about her plans and leave him in the dark. And yeah, extremely disrespectful, extremely paternalistic, right? Um, That she's the sole decider in in the relationship. And yeah, I mean, some of the other things that she talked about with her friends, for example, um, is that she has this urgency and she says she never wants to come back to New York again. And, you know, whatever. I'm actually sympathetic to this. I, you know, could understand wanting to not live in New York, right? It can be a real pressure cooker. Um, maybe you move somewhere like Miami, right? Um, But so she's like totally disengaged from New York, but she tells her friends that she's making the decision to leave now at the expense of $15,000 additionally in her pension um, that she's going to miss out on and that she would have access to if she just waited one additional year. And this is a fact that I guarantee you, Johan has no idea about because Johan would work, you know, to the bones for that amount of money. And she's just sort of, you know, uh, you know, fluttering it away to go escape to the beach um, with the idea that she's just going to manifest her reality. So I think there's there's a serious dose of delusion, but I think the delusion is really rooted in, um, you know, this idea that like the colonized world is available for settlement and that as a white presenting person, you can just go and life will be manageable and good for you there and that you can just you know, continue to live in this space and exploit these resources without facing the hardships that the people who do live there encounter on a day-to-day basis. And I, I think that's the tension between the two of them. 
Yeah, and, and solely based on the fact that it, it is extremely um, affordable to live there without any nuance to the fact that the reason it's affordable for her, like, or the reason that it's affordable for her is the re- also with the same reason why her husband is underpaid and why his family has to rely on every single person to contribute to the household. Um, so, you know, her kind of boasting about, and, you know, to, to cut myself off, I'm sure when they first met up that she was constantly bragging about, I can afford this hotel. I mean, I pay $4,000 a month in New York City for my apartment. And so it's really like a financial catfishing when now all of a sudden she's like, I don't have that money. We don't have that money. What are you going to do? Get a job? Which, by the way, was extremely xenophobic. Um, I could not believe that she was saying, you don't even speak English. Um, Like, and when her, I don't even speak Spanish. And I know that ain't pretty Spanish that she's rocking with. But she wants to move to the DR, barely know their language, and basically just continue to burden his family by taking his paychecks away from them. Um, yeah, yeah and, and just the last point I wanted to say is that I think at first blush, a lot of people think that this is an age thing or this is an age difference, but it is so not, that is one tiny element. It is not solely that she is 43 and has worked very hard all her life and wants to retire and she's at a different stage of her life and he's ready to get his career going, is that he's a 32-year-old person who in the United States is working probably this the level of quote-unquote skill, right, is something that we would give, we would have teenagers working in the summer, right? And him being harassed at a resort that caters to white, you know, North Americans, she, like there's just so, she's so tone deaf on so many different levels. And I cannot believe that you would think it's appropriate to save these things on camera about your black Dominican spouse. Yeah. And I mean, even to catch viewers up to something that happened in Love and Paradise that was so important was prior to them getting married, Danielle went with Johan to his family's home and she talks about being shocked at the conditions that they live in. And she says, you know, I I always knew that they didn't have a lot um, or that they weren't super well off, but I didn't realize the full extent of what this materially looked like for this person who I'm claiming to be in love with and his family. And they have a conversation that I think is a very common conversation, which is that they also, the family, have expectations for Johan as a member of the family and as a contributor. Um, And as, you know, someone who they're thinking through these themes of immigration with, and they all support him going to the U.S. so that he can earn money right? And continue working hard um, and send some of that money back to them, right? Because that's that's their family dynamic. And we see this across, you know, many, many parts of the world. Um, and Danielle essentially steps in during this time and says, you know, it's great that they're having this conversation, but I'm not participating in this. And you know, doesn't fully relay that to them or to him. But again, just like this plan to to move to the DR and not to New York, she's not communicating and is really just sort of steamrolling how she thinks things are going to go with their finances, with their location, um, with their marriage. Yeah. And by the way, everyone, I just feel like this is one of the main themes of 90 Day Fiance in the 90 Day Fiance universe, which is that, you know, I think it's, 
less that there are all of these cultural differences in there. It's more so that there are things that Americans have basically digested as natural. Okay. So for instance, um, we see literally every season, multiple seat, there's multiple couples where someone's sending money back to the family and they're up and then the American spouse or partner's upset about that. Right. That's no nothing new between Danielle and Johan. But what Dr. Rule's illuminating too, right, is that he didn't consent to that. But also intrinsically that there is nothing wrong with sending money to your family. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean that you're like getting pulled over or you're a schlep or that your family's lazy. It doesn't mean, I mean, except for like a Swaylu situation where his mom was like, fuck them kids. It doesn't necessarily mean that your family is just greedy. Um, it's about a familiar, it's about a responsibility that it doesn't just occur when oh you're a teenager and you mow the lawn when you're in the United States, right? We think that then you're just 18 and then you're just you leave. No, you're part of the family unit for life and you're expected to contribute to everybody. And to be honest, I think, I mean, not gonna go on my soapbox, but this is a lot of what I study of the cultural histories of black motherhood and black mothers and especially just caregivers of color in the United States are we're suffering because of those cultural practices are no longer ingrained within our country. And we might look at it as a money issue here, but really it's a really normal form of care and it keeps families alive and functional. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, I just want to flag for everyone to, um, if you were listening to our earlier episode on Married at First Sight, where the couples are currently on their honeymoon in Jamaica. You know, we we talked a little bit about what it means to also engage in things like tourism as Americans to places that have been, you know, colonized. And um, here in the DR, we see, you know, a similar sort of thing, right? This is a nation that has a history of colonization stretching back hundreds of years and many listeners may not even realize that this is actually where Christopher Columbus landed, right? Um, and, you know, on the island of Hispaniola. And we see this language and rhetoric about paradise constantly deployed by Danielle, right? She says she wants to move here because it's paradise, because it's beautiful. Um, and it is beautiful, right? I'm, I'm not trying to take any of that away, but... Her idea of enjoying the DR and its beauty and its riches and what it has to offer is, again, like tone deaf from the realities of the people that live there. She's thinking her life is going to be essentially an extension of what she experienced when she was at the resort and is failing to grapple with the fact that her husband is the person working at the resort but living in a totally different condition um, where the vast majority of the country's population lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the, it's a great question. Paradise for whom? Because I promise you that Danielle would not last uh, two days in a home that did not have hot water. Um, you know, there's just, there's lots of markers about or of his family's financial situation, right? Like, I don't know, not to be too specific, but in the interviews that we see of Johan and of just special occasions, he's wearing all the same clothes, right? It's just very clear to me that the resources are just not abound. 
And I think, again, you know, she's looking at this as like, oh, well, this is because, oh, well, like, you don't want to learn English. Like, she's almost kind of centering it on a character thing um, rather than just, I don't know, her country's colonization of his country. And um, lastly, I mean, just to talk about colonization on a different register, we have to talk about her appropriation of Ife or Ifa faith, because, I mean, this is something she picked up in her late 30s. Um, this is uh, traditionally a West African and African diasporic religious religion practice. Um, and I, I mean, I want to call it out in two different things, two different ways, right? First, yes, it's appropriation. She went to a yoga class and she's like, this seems interesting. And oh, I'm going to manifest everything. And which seems like it's just it's tomfoolery. But, you know, I have to call out a lot of other podcasters um on that cover 90 day when everyone's just like wow like this is just bullshit because there's like millions of people that this religion is not bullshit for and just because it's been commodified in the U.S. as something that like middle-aged white hippie women take up and you think crystals are funny these are real cultural practices for some people um and her yeah she makes a mockery of things like I can't wear black anymore but for some people wearing white is something that makes them closer make them feel closer to God and it's just unfortunate that I think she appears again as this person on the screen who's just characterizing or becoming a caricature of all of these parts of the world that, that you know that she thinks make her interesting and it it's all to me centered on like you're saying settler, settler colonialism and blackness because we can't forget that Johan is embodied very much as a Black Dominican. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, building off of that a bit, they have this interesting conversation right at the end of the episode um, where they're talking again about, like, the wonders of the DR and why they want to live there. And she's always just talking about how great this place is. And he's talking about sort of the real practicalities of needing to survive and help his family. And um, they have this conversation about the American dream. And I'm currently teaching a class called American Dreams, American Lives. It's an introductory level course for particularly American studies majors. Um, and, you know, it, it was just so interesting that, you know, I'm spending a semester with my students thinking through where we see the idea of the American dream come up, where its origins come from, how it's deployed, how it has changed over time. And to see that in 2022, this idea of the American dream is still totally operable, right? And um, he talks about how he has this American dream of coming to the U.S. with nothing, building a life, and, you know, finding success for himself and his family. And it's interesting because Danielle says that this dream doesn't exist. And then he says, you know, you're killing my dream. You're killing my American dream. And What's fascinating to me about that is that I, I think that there's just a level of nuance that needs to be added to the whole thing. Because I would actually say that in this case, Danielle is correct that this form of rags to riches in the United States 
especially for, um, you know, people like Johan who are black, who are non-English speaking or specifically Spanish speaking, um, you know, it is not an easy road where you just land here and then suddenly find yourself in suburbia with 2.5 kids and one, you know, breadwinner, um, which is how the American dream is often touted. But at the same time, I think the way that she is killing his American dream, as he puts it, is is really not even about the American dream. I think it's much more about the navigation of their racial positionalities, their class positionalities, their relationship to settler colonialism. And I, I think just going all the way full circle, age is like the least of the yeah, no, absolutely. And I just want to correct you on one thing. She did not tell him the American dream was dead. She yelled it at him, right? In this super tense car ride. And I think that, you know, going back to your great point about paternalism, right? Or just kind of like this ethos of always knowing better, always being the more stable person rooted in patriarchy or being the more masculine person or dominant person in that situation. You know, she might be like five feet tall. What is she, 4'11 or something like that? But I think she is determined to run this relationship. And she even goes as far basically to say that she's like, well, that's just not what we're doing. And so um, I really hope we're not in for a season where we just see Johan um, getting cut down constantly by her. But unfortunately, I think that, you know, him having this dream, this quote unquote dream is what's going to keep him in the relationship, because that's also how she'll emotionally manipulate him is that I can keep him thinking that it's still a possibility just enough to keep him and like force him to be with me, which is basically this weird, like concubine situation where she just has her DR husband and, 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 and then he works and she doesn't like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. There's no hope. There's no hope for me. <laughs> right here right now i i don't think that there's any hope i think it's i think it's a sad situation actually um you know i'm not saying that i think that danielle is a bad person so to speak but i think that their relationship's dysfunctional i think that there are so many issues that they need to work out that have to deal with the larger structures of racism um in the in the world right and on a global scale and uh, yeah I, I think that he's a super nice guy um and i think that she's kind of hiding behind the language barrier and and taking advantage of him in that way and stringing him along and i don't like to see it yeah and i mean we didn't even get to the way that she sexually fetishizes him or the size of his penis was constantly being discussed on the second season of Love in Paradise. But no, I completely agree. I think there's no hope for this um, relationship at all. And by the way, folks, this is the definition of why it's important to study these things that we study. Um, I know a lot of there's a lot of rhetoric on, you know, public rhetoric or um, even legislatively, which they attest that ethnic studies and cultural studies are unimportant and unimportant and even kind of an antagonism to the quote unquote American experience. But this is an example of how it rears its ugly head in your interpersonal relationships. Um, you know, if she it's baffling to me that she's a history teacher in New York City because you at least would have uh, she would have to know something about the Puerto Rican diaspora or something right but again this is what happens when you don't do the reading this is thin theory this is signposting this is Instagram quotables um it's not real learning so 
please pick up a book by CLR James um, or anybody else. I'm happy to recommend more. And I want to say one more thing about this because we are in this current moment of, you know, political attacks on critical race theory, um, for example. And, you know, it's really important to be able to parse out and say, okay, Danielle is married to a black man. That does not exalt her from being racist, right? That, you know, being able to say, well, I have a black friend or I'm married to a person of color or I'm in a relationship with, you know, a person of a particular experience does not safeguard you from from um, being able to act out, right? Structural racism. And that's exactly what we see here. Um, you know, there's, she may not be, you know, personally prejudiced, right, against people of color or against, you know, Johan. Um, but nevertheless, racism, the structure of racism is so forefront in their whole relationship. Absolutely. And we see it as thinly veiled attacks and not so thinly, thinly, uh, thinly veiled attacks, right? Even the way that we categorize Black men in the U.S., right? Even these tropes of laziness, who go, which go back hundreds of years, right? She's using these words on his family. She's using these words on him, too. Um, so I totally agree with Dr. Rule. And um, please pick up a book, y'all, please, because um, this, this is why I love the show and this is why I hate the show, because this is the number one show watched by um, women in America. And so it's such an amazing opportunity to talk about these things, but it's such a missed opportunity. And this is why we have the podcast because people are watching it. And I think it's going over their heads as an age issue or, oh, look at her dummy per or her weird manifesting and weird spirituality. And it's like, there's so much more meat there. Um, so recommend our podcast to your friends so that we can talk their, off, their ear off and we can skip awkward coffee dates that you have with them and we'll just teach them for you and let us know if there are any of these threads that you'd like us to elaborate more on um we're happy to keep this conversation going again we have a whole season coming up so there's gonna be so much to unpack let us know what you're interested in so we can speak specifically to it yes yes so i guess we only have one more couple um that is gabriel and is it isabel or isabella i can never remember it's Isabel. Okay, Isabel. And so he is 32, if I'm um, correct. And then how old is Isabel? Do you remember? I do not have her age here. Either, but I don't think there's a big age gap or anything like that, because I probably would have noted it. Um, yeah, I think she's, I, I, I want to say she's 30. Okay, yeah. She has a 16-year-old and an 11-year-old. Um, we meet Gabriel as someone um, he's from Florida. Um, he's from Margate, Florida. Um, we he's introduced he introduces himself to us immediately as a proud out trans man. Um, I think that this show actually treated his story very well. I really like the way he told his story um, of coming to actualize his tr trans identity. Um, and then we see the most genius business idea that I have seen in a long time, which is that he basically has a underwear line for people who are trans um, or people who are transitioning and pack, right? Or in other words, like the illusion or to feel like they have some sort of bulge in their pants. And 
I just think this is genius. If Gabriel gets nothing, if he doesn't get Isabel, if he doesn't get a wife out of this, I really hope he, he's on Shark Tank. I hope people just offer him some some money because I think this is an amazing investment opportunity. Get more proud wear is what it's called. And yes, so he um, sews, sounds like hand sews, uh, these foam bulges that he molds um, into the underwear. And he was actually in Colombia looking for a new manufacturer of the underwear when he met Isabel. Yeah. And so he goes down, he meets her. It sounds like a very just normal meeting. Um, I think they met on an app and they just spend these really wonderful days together. And he decides to tell her pretty um, immediately, I think after their first night together, that he is a trans man and she has no issue with it, right? It's fairly anticlimactic and they proceed to be in love and they want to get married. They do. Um, and so right now he's planning to go down to Medellin, um, where he is already currently renting an apartment that she lives in full time. She moved out of her previous place, moved in there full time, presumably with her kids. Um, and he's coming back and forth between Colombia and the U.S. every couple of weeks, and they're spending time together there when he goes down there. Now, it seems like the main plot point is that um, they're planning to get married. He is planning to go and propose to her um, on this upcoming trip, but he's concerned about the fact that her parents do not know that he's a person of trans experience. And he's just sort of grappling with whether or not he should disclose that information before he proposes to her, after he proposes to her, or ever. Um, and, and that seems to be the main sort of conflict at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not a trans person. I'm cisgendered. So cisgendered means that I identify with the sex. My gender identifies with the sex that I was born with. And so I do not know the experience of being a trans person and, you know, feeling desire to come out or not want to come out. But we do have to really realize that this is a question, not just of disclosing something or really about a secret. This is really about his safety. Um, trans people are murdered all of the time. Um, and he meets with his friend Keon, I think their name is, um, who's also a trans man. And they discuss this, right? They talk about how they are trans men who quote unquote pass, right? For cisgendered. And so at first glance, they don't, maybe don't read as someone who is trans. And so they move through the world differently than say a lot of trans women. Um, but that was something that they, that Keon was worried about for, um, for Gabriel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's the possibility of physical violence, right? Um, there's the possibility that even just disapproval um, of her family, you know, of, of his status of being a trans person um, would cause her to leave him. Um, there are real stakes here. And one of the things I really appreciated in this conversation between Gabe and his friend is that they talked about how there's really just no one answer that fits all people, that fits all scenarios. And I, I appreciated the nuance that they brought to this issue. Um, I love that we're getting visibility, right, of same-sex couples, of um, 
you know, also having a a trans person in our lineup this this season. Um, I think that 90 Day Fiance is doing well to think about representing love um, because it's it's not only the sort of traditional man and woman arrangement that the majority of their previous seasons encompass and and also you know that we still see on shows like married at first sight so i i think this is why 90 day has the edge um <laughs> is because they're reflecting things that people want to see and that that people are interested in and real experiences yeah no i mean to echo what you're saying i love just the nuance between this conversation between gabe and his friend because I, I think that something that, that's, I mean, this has always been the case, but something that has been giving a lot of um, just voice recently in queer studies and in, you know, queer of color critique is that Black people or people of color who are trans or identify as queer do not have to come out, right? They don't owe anybody anything by identifying with any labels that really weren't made up to describe them. Um, and especially as a trans person, it's just, it's, yes, it's absolutely about safety, but we also have to thank you all about critically, it is just not always necessary for people to come out. You don't always deserve to know people's identity. You don't get to know, you don't get to ask questions. And it really invites us to engage Gabe and encounter him solely just on his humanity. Right. Not as like a trans man, but just as this person who wants to marry Isabel, wants to get his little tattoo of her name, um, which is super cute. Um, and it's just an entrepreneur. Right. He, he's also all these other things. But um, if I can, I really want to elaborate on this. His one man trans pride parade, because something I hear a lot from people is, you know, like, well, why would that be necessary? Right. Or why is it necessary for um, trans folks or queer folks or gay folks to have a parade or for everyone to know, right? And I know I'm contradicting myself to what I just said, but having a one-man trans parade, even though I was really worried for his safety, because, you know, he's in Florida, um, having that parade is important for him to be known as a trans person because cisgendered people get to walk around all day affirmed for who they are, assumed um, have their whole core value, their character based on an, this thing that they didn't even choose to be, right? And so when someone is standing up and super excited to have their parade and to shout out to the world that they're trans, that's really their opportunity to be seen and they don't care if they're uncomfortable with it, right? Straight folks don't have to worry about being seen kissing. Trans and queer people do. Um, I really... Um, don't appreciate and I disavow completely this idea that heterosexuality is quintessentially normal, right? Being cisgendered is normal, quote unquote. It's really not. There is no normal when it comes to gender, sexuality, and sex because it always has been a, a spectrum. It always will be a spectrum. And this idea of normalization of hetero relationships and just being cisgendered, as Dr. Elizabeth knows way more than me in American studies, is really a fabrication. That has been the American dream that we've been sold. There, him being like in our face about being trans, that's no difference than y'all making me watch Love and Hip Hop for like 14 seasons and making me watch these fictionalized couples make out all the time. There's no difference. Yeah, and, and just to echo that and build on that, you know, Gabriel is somebody who... Um, 
is living really authentically, right? It seems like. And he has this business that I hope is thriving for him. Um, you know, that's designed to support people who were in a similar situation to him, right? Um, going through a transition period um, from male to female. And right, like having things like his one man pride parade, um, you know, like that's his prerogative. He came up with this idea. He wanted to do it. And so I think that's that's what's exciting is that he's able to do that and seemingly is also like inspiring his friend who vows to carry on this legacy of the one man pride parade once he <laughs> permanently to Florida. So how are you feeling about Gabe and, and Isabel? Do we think they're going to make it? You know, I'm super excited to see him just be in Colombia and just like do his thing. I'm really excited to see his business, how it operates there. I think that they're actually going to be fine. Um, I actually think if it doesn't work out, it's going to be for other factors besides his identity or him talking to her parents about being trans. Um, his sister brings up for us that it might be his issue with her kids or being a step parent. Um, there's a lot of factors as in with all these couples, but I don't think his transness is actually going to be one of them. So I'm actually going to say, I think they're good. I think that they're going to stay together. Okay. I have a little bit of a different read. I'm seeing some major red flags, but I do agree and hope sincerely that the issue is not his transness. Mm. Um, and, and I think that it's not going to be. But I do see red flags with, you said his tattoo was super cute. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> just because he also has another one of another ex, right? <laughs> so that's just giving me this sense that he jumps in head first. He thinks things are super serious when maybe they're a little less stable than he's imagining them to be. Also the financials, I mean, the financials come into play. He's paying for this apartment that she's living in full time. He's supporting her kids. And, you know, that's one thing when you're not there full time, but then when you are there as both the financial provider mm -hmm. and a permanent presence, that dynamic can change. And we see that with all types of couples on the show. So for me, the jury's out. But I, I, like you said, think it's not going to have anything to do with his being trans. Yeah, hopefully not. So if you all are watching us on, um, I think we're going to start releasing these videos of us recording on our Patreon. You can see me canceling my tattoo appointment to get Dr. Rule's name tattooed on me. This is really awkward because <laughs> um, she's not into that. Uh, but <laughs> um no, I do think it's cute. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, overall, I think this is gonna be another great season. I'm sorry, but 90 day the other way never misses. Um, I'm super excited for what it's going to bring. We have so much content. I think that this is also going to be the meatiest um, just a show for us in general, because it correlates so directly to what we both have spent way too long studying and teaching. Um, and so please, please, please um, check out our Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash reality rlty 101 and um, check out some of our patreon tiers um, to support black and indigenous feminist scholarship and talking and gossiping and you can also find us on social media
Yeah, we appreciate your support so much. That's why we do what we do is because we're educators and we love to talk about these issues that shape our own lives, but also just the world that we see around us. And when it comes to reality TV, that that steeps into our entertainment as well. So you can find us and stay up to date with everything that we're discussing on social media. We're on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Our handle is at reality 101 that's rlty 101 give us a like give us a follow give us a retweet give us a comment let us know what you agreed with disagreed with want us to talk about we'd be really happy to engage and thanks for listening i think that wraps us up for today and are we ready to say it dr we're ready we're ready that's class dismissed <laughs>